What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. Three on the way. Yes. Paul George nails it. Lou Williams for the win. Bingo. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of Clip and Roll. As always, I am your host, Justin Russo. And once again, joining me is Forbes Sports' Shane Young. Shane... Last time I had you on, we talked about the recap of the last couple of weeks of the regular season for the Clippers, but now we're getting down to the nitty gritty. It's nut cutting time, as Farbod would love me to say. It's time for the postseason. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm not particularly ready for the discourse that's going to be coming, but I'm ready to watch the basketball. Hell yeah, I'm ready for the discourse after every single second of postseason basketball. It's going to be great. This is why we this is why we love basketball. Every single play gets hyper analyzed and it's just fantastic. Love it. Justin, love it. Are, are you ready for the conversation surrounding every single decision Marcus Morris makes in the playoffs? Totally. Totally ready for that. Okay. 100%. Yes. Oh yeah. Totally. Totally stoked for that to happen. By the <laughs> way, uh someone sent me a thing on Twitter that was like the Clippers need to put Morris on the bench because like he can hog possessions. And they linked oh to like some God. Zach Lowe article, which Zach Lowe is the best in the NBA. Best yeah. at dissecting it. No one It was his 10 things column, wasn't it? Yeah. And in there, he talks about like Morris can hijack some possessions, but as long as he's working in the post against mismatches, it's fine. And I honestly just wondered if the guy actually read the article. <laughs> yeah. It's like you read a couple of key words and think that that's the point. But in reality, Marcus has been... Uh, the exact opposite of what people think he is. So the funny thing is that Toronto, uh, Toronto home game, the game that the Clippers beat Toronto in in Los Angeles, the tying shot or the go ahead shot, I believe it was the tying shot uh, to lock it up at ninety nine, was Morris in the mid post isolated against on a switch against Fred Van Vliet. And I'm just going to be honest with you. If that's the matchup the Clippers are getting or comparable wise in the postseason in this series, like for instance, if Morris gets switched on to Jalen Brunson, by all means, just go to it. I don't care. Yeah. Go into it until it, work, until it, until it doesn't work. I mean, pretty much if they start sending doubles, he, he needs to pass, but mm -hmm. it is what it is. All right. So we're here to talk Clippers Mavericks. You know, they played last postseason in the first round Clippers won in six games. Porzingis, I believe, played like three and a quarter games, if I remember correctly. Something like that. I don't know. Everything blurred together back then. It still blurs together now. Don't you and know the they would Dallas would have won that series? Don't you know? I mean, they very well could have. I also don't care. What happened, happened. <laughs> I, no one's going to cry, cry tears of sadness over the Clippers if someone gets hurt. You know, so yeah. it is what it is. Um not to say I didn't feel bad that Porzingis got hurt. I did. I don't like seeing injuries, but at the end of the day, it's basketball, and sometimes guys get injured. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so Clippers-Mavericks, it's the rematch. 
Are the Clippers going to be able to repeat over the Mavericks get revenge? We will find out. Starts on Saturday, May 22nd at an odd start time, by the way, 1.30 p.m. Pacific. I was going to ask you how you feel about that as someone that is driving to Staples Center. So it's interesting because the Clippers have never started a game this season at 1.30. It's been 12.30 for home games. Um, What -hmm. difference does an hour make? I don't know. Maybe the Clippers actually don't fall prey to afternoon basketball because it's an hour later. Maybe they get better sleep. I don't know. It's just it's just an odd time. 1.30 p.m. is just a very strange time. Yeah, and you know, I don't want to bring up these memories. Please forgive me, Justin and, and oh, the Clip and Roll fam. But you know what else was a one thirty start time? That game six. The, the To this day, it is still the weirdest and the strangest, most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Game six of Nuggets Clippers was at three or was at one thirty Eastern. Um, I think, yeah, one thirty Eastern, if I'm not mistaken, on a weekend. And I don't remember the circumstances around the sports world or what, why it was the case, but nobody was watching that game, it felt like, other than us. Yeah, because they just played like uh, four, like 36 hours earlier, I guess. And yeah, yeah it was very strange. It might have very... been the Kentucky Derby Day. If I, It might have been that. No, 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 because it was September. Well, the, they ran the Derby in September. Did they? Oh, yeah, because right. of COVID. Oh, yeah, that little thing. <laughs> The thing that only upset everything. Uh, no, the Kentucky Derby was September 5th. Okay, so, so it wasn't that. That was uh, when the night of game two. Hmm. Well, the, the league screwed up with the schedule of that Nugget series is all I'm saying. But, so, but yeah, here we go. Uh, game one at a really random start time. Yeah, I don't understand why that was. Now that, now that I'm looking, you have me curious on this. Uh, yeah, that's very strange because that was the only playoff game that day. Yes, it was. Oh my and they God. started at one one p.m. Eastern time. I don't. So what you were you were watching. That? So you were in LA at ten o'clock watching the most important game of the season. That's that's crazy. Yeah, and they're playing in Orlando, which is hilarious to think about. Like the postseason happened in Orlando for the entire league. But hey, now that the Clippers get to actually play at home, and the last time the Clippers played the Dallas Mavericks on a week on a weekend uh, afternoon game, they only got beat by like fifty. So you know it is what it is. <laughs> What a what a joy that game was to to dissect and marinate over. <laughs> Anyways, Clippers Mavericks. There are certain intriguing matchups. Shane, what is the most intriguing matchup for you? Uh, whether that be lineups, uh, whether that be player versus player, coach v coach. Like you can pick whatever you want. Well, I think there are a few, but I'll just go on the one that I'm kind of interested in to see the most. It is. How do the Clippers respond to Chris Tasporzinia? So how do they defend him? I know in last year's series and a few times in the season, you would see Kawhi try to take him to kind of like, because Kawhi is obviously uh, long enough and his, you know, his defensive versatility is so strong that he can really handle those type of assignments, even though Porzingis can shoot over him. I feel like it's, it's just going to be a, a chess match to see like, okay, how are we going to deal with this seven foot three gargantuan giant that can shoot, but he can't really post up a Kawhi Leonard because of the bulk and the size. And, and you know, you can't, you can't move Kawhi on the block. It's just like PJ Tucker. So um, I, I want to see how they match up with that, whether they, they line up big to big because um, Zubats does a good job, but 
Zoo obviously doesn't want to be on the perimeter and doesn't want to be stretched out like that. So that's why you you kind of put Zoo on maybe a Dorian Finney-Smith or, or name your wing that you're not that worried about on Dallas and kind of mismatch that way. So it's, you know, it's going to be a chess match when it comes to Porzingis being healthy and being available. I mean, yeah, Porzingis is the biggest unknown in this series, not because of like, well, we don't know what type of player he is. We don't know how the Clippers are going to defend him. We have some ideas as we've talked about, but also we don't know health wise what he's going to be able to give. So he played 43 games a season. He missed um, like two weeks and then came back for the final three games. And those final three games, he played well. He averaged 19 points. He shot 50, uh, 50% from the field, 60% from three. Porzingis's thing is he's not a rim threat unless he's catching dunks, basically. He wants to be a 15 and out player, which is fine. He's very good shooter. The interesting thing is I think with him, I think you go Kawhi on him. Or PG on him for length might be the real call. Mm-hmm. Is, is, so actually, that's what I would do. PG on Porzingis, Kawhi on Doncic, uh, Morris. Well, uh, that's actually interesting. So here's actually here's what it would be, I guess. PG on Porzingis, Kawhi on um, Kawhi, Kawhi on pro- probably on like Richardson, right? Because yeah. you could help off of Richardson. Yeah. There or just are... go Oh, all right. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. I think I have it. You just go Kawhi on Doncic, George on Porzingis, and you could switch every one of those pick and rolls if they run them. The real thing was going to be, what do you do with Maxi Kleba uh, if he starts? Well, I think if Maxi starts alongside Porzingis, or even if Dwight Powell starts alongside Porzingis, that's where you have Morris. So then you can still switch that onto Doncic and vice versa. And I think you do put Zubots onto Finney Smith. I think that has to be the call. Yeah, that has to be the call with Zoo kind of playing that Rome defense where he can help at the rim if necessary. Well, it will be necessary with Doncic because, I mean, that dude gets to the – I don't care who's on Doncic. Kawhi Leonard is probably one of the three best perimeter defenders of all time, and he's still not going to fully be able to prevent Doncic from getting inside. That's how ridiculous that 21 or 22-year-old is. He's insane. It's absurd. Uh, so I think that's first and foremost. You have to give him his, his flowers there. But – I'm going to tell you like the single most interesting thing to me about the series is I'm mildly concerned for the Clippers. If this rings true, if Dorian Finney Smith continues to shoot 42.6% from three, like he has since the all-star break, I think that's probably worth noting that season long numbers aren't as important right now as like what they've been doing in the last half of the season, I think. And Dorian Finney Smith over his last 35 games shooting five threes a game. So moderate volume, not high, but not low and making 42% of them. If that's the case, I mean, zoo has a, has a hard time coming because he has to stay home to a certain degree Unless I guess I guess you just you don't stay home unless Dorian starts making those consistently, and then once he does, you have a lot of trouble. Finney Smith is an interesting player because I find him to be streaky, both good and bad. 
Um, mm-hmm. He'll go through stretches where he's making them, and then he'll go through stretches where he's missing them. For instance, he had a stretch uh, from April. Well, let's let's actually go back a little bit further. He had a stretch from April sixteenth to May sixth, which is eleven games. He shot fifty three point one percent, and then the next three games after that, he shoots six point seven percent, and he goes one for fifteen from three. And it's like those are the those are the those are the peaks and valleys with a guy like him. And to be fair to Dorian Finney-Smith, really good player, those peaks and valleys happen to pretty much every player in the league because that's how you get averages. It's not like mm-hmm. you just like you got to go through the peaks and valleys to get your average. Um, I do think the right call is zoo on to Finney-Smith at least to start. And if need be, you know you can. Here's the thing: I don't hate zoo isolated against Doncic. I don't hate it because as long as Zoo stays in position, which I understand is easier said than done, but as long as Zoo stays in position and doesn't allow Doncic to go left, I think he's fine. I don't think Doncic wants to drive against him. I think he wants to step back. And if you can take away his Doncic's left hand, which is the lethal side of the floor for him to step back into I think you're going to have a greater deal of success in a series over the long haul. You literally took my point. I was about to say, after you mentioned that about Zoo in isolation and space against Doncic, I was going to say, like, if he's driving, it's one thing. But I think if if he's stepping back, Zoo is long enough and he's disciplined enough to... I think prevent a lot of the a lot of the ticky tack fouls that you're going to get or that you have seen with Luca, where he's calling for the ref to to call these. Uh, you know, the defender barely touched my hand or he landed it or he's in my landing space. I think Zoo is smart enough to avoid those. But I will say, I'm not sure if you agree, but that's one. I feel like if he's if he's in ISO a lot against Luca, I'm not I'm not sure it will be a lot. But if it is. It's one good way to uh, be be concerned about foul trouble for one of the most important Clippers. Yeah, um, you don't want to get Zoo into foul. You don't want to get any Clipper into foul trouble, for being completely honest. Um, according to the NBA's matchup data from last postseason, Luka Doncic, when Ivica Zubac was tabbed as the uh, primary defender, this is a courtesy of the NBA's advanced stats player tracking analysis, Doncic was 7 of 22 from the field against Zoo for 20 points. He drew two shooting fouls. He was 1 of 9 from 3. The 1 of 9 from 3 tells me he settled for a lot of threes that he likewise wouldn't settle for against pretty much any other defender. Uh, That's why I I don't hate the Zoo defensive assignment on him. I think if you put a bigger body on him who just keeps his hands to themselves, I, I think that will go a long way to helping your team win a series. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah, you're completely right. I think it's important to, to kind of think back and reflect on last year's series. Now it is, it is totally, uh, it's irresponsible to not think that this is a different Dallas team. It's a different Dallas team. And, and, and by way of their personnel, by way of a little bit of their playing style, um, I think health. Yeah. Health. I think they're shooting more threes. I think they're, they're uh, more likely to get up a lot more shots uh, from the corners this year. So I'm curious to see how, how Dallas's offense performs. But with the Clippers' last playoff series, Kawhi and Zubots on the floor, Kawhi and Zoo on the floor, 
versus Luca on the floor and Luca and whoever, as long as Luca's out there, Kawhi and P- Kawhi and Zoo are out there. The Clippers outscored them by 24 points per 100 possessions, and that was over 110 minutes. Like it wasn't, it wasn't this thing where it was only like 40 minutes, 50 minutes, and then you can kind of split it up. It was a lot of minutes, a lot of sample of Kawhi and Zuby in there and, and guarding Luca pretty damn well. And I think I think that's the key. Like if you can keep everyone healthy and on the floor, out of foul trouble, and you actually play Zubots the minutes that he needs and deserves. He didn't play the minutes he deserves last playoff series, either of them. We know that. I'm just not as like worried about it this year. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. The biggest thing that has kind of gone under the radar for last series against Dallas Two, actually, let me take that back. Two things. Uh, let me, let me do number one real quick. And we'll move to number two. Number one, Lou Williams isn't on the team anymore. Lou Williams shot 50% in that series against Dallas last year. And that was even despite shooting 33% from three, Lou was great in the mid range and he was great getting to the rim. Uh, so no more Lou Williams, Dallas loved to switch guys onto Lou and Lou cooked them. So it was what it was, but Lou's not here anymore. That role is now Rondo and Reggie Jackson, but it is what it is. But Lou was good for them in that series offensively. Mm-hmm. As an aside, 1B, if we want to do this real quick, 1B, do you know who led the Clippers in three-pointers in that series last year? My guess would be Reginald Jackson or Jamichael Green. Okay. It was Reggie. Uh, Jamichael <laughs> only hit uh, only hit three of them. Okay. I was kind of, I was being a little bit uh, sarcastic there. Yeah, just a yeah, little you, bit. You went crazy <laughs> on that one. Uh, Reggie hit 16 of his 28 threes. He made 57% of his threes. As much grief as I gave Doc Rivers for putting him out there against Luka Doncic on that one final possession, and he should not have been out there. That wasn't Reggie's fault. You shouldn't have been out there. Reggie also saved the Clippers with his three-point shoot in that series. I truly hope people understand how good he was offensively in that series overall. Number two, Paul George shot 36% in that series and only 27.5% from three. The other thing on that is Kawhi only shot 29% from three. So two. Yeah, Kawhi had like an incredible series, which is wild to think about. Yeah, he hit everything basically inside the paint. It was absurd. Uh, or at least inside the arc, I should say. Um, as an aside, Maxi Kleba played amazing defense on Kawhi Leonard, and it never mattered. I kind of felt bad for him after a while. Um, but your two best players just couldn't make threes. They combined for 24 threes on 85 attempts, um, which is obviously sub 30%. 
They didn't make threes. The Clippers as a team shot 40% from three in that series, and those two were under 30%. So that's kind of and, – and Lou Williams was at 33.3%. So it's kind of remarkable that the Clippers were able to get that production. I mean, Reggie Jackson was great from three. Marcus Morris was great from three. Landry Shamit was great from three. Those were the three who really buoyed them offensively from beyond the arc. And let's not forget Patrick Patterson's three for three from three because Pat Pat's the greatest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you look at that Clippers team and you look at this Clippers team and I, Dallas has changed because Dallas now has Jalen Brunson healthy. They're going to be able to get minutes out of him. They have uh, Dwight Powell back. Porzingis seems healthy. Um, there's someone else I'm forgetting, I think, on Dallas that's healthy now. Well, Dwight, did you say Dwight Powell? I did. Okay. Well, that's the, that's the big one for me. I mean, Dwight Powell is he, people don't look at him as like this rim lob threat, but the dude is still like athletic as hell despite tearing the Achilles last year and he's he's come back pretty well. I mean, he's not he's not been great, but he's been he's been shooting 70% from the field since the All-Star break, so whatever you want to take from that. Uh I think his screening is also going to be important. It's just I've never like been I've never been a huge fan of Dallas from the standpoint of starting both Porzingis and and uh, either Kleba or Dwight Powell, whichever one they're going to start. Like I, I don't know, I just never have agreed with starting two bigs, but hey, it, it works out well for them most of the time. So, uh, one of the weirdest stats from this season, as far as Dallas is concerned, is that. Doncic and Porzingis on the court, 862 minutes, plus 0.5 net rating. Okay. In the 1,400 minutes that Doncic has played without Porzingis, it's plus 6.7. In the 464 minutes Porzingis has played without Doncic, it's plus 2.5. Those are good marks for the team. Those are absolutely passable marks. Those are fine. While the numbers together you wish were higher, it still is rather interesting. But they're not as good as they were last year. For instance, last year with both on, plus five. Uh, Doncic on, Porzingis off, plus 6.8. Porzingis on, Doncic off, plus 10.1. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, really, it's really interesting. It made me wonder how much Seth Curry like changed a lot yeah. of things for them. I was just about to mention Seth because not only – did he have the vendetta against Paul George that he just wanted to destroy him? But he also just never missed a single freaking shot. Uh, you know this because Trey you Burke tweeted, too. yeah, you tweeted this at least twenty-seven times during the series, and I was probably right behind you at twenty. But <laughs> Seth Curry and Trey Burke were the problems. It was the bench minutes that they would lose, but they would dominate the starting minutes. It didn't make any sense. Yeah, like they couldn't contain the guards. And partially that was like Lou wasn't good at the point of attack. But it's like they had Lou and Landry out and there they, and Lou and Landry and Reggie. Bev. And they didn't have Bev. And and Trez was the backline protector in those lineups and it wasn't working. And it was a lot of just – it wasn't great. Um, one of the interesting things uh, – I keep saying one of the interesting things. Another <laughs> interesting thing to me is if you look at the Clippers playoff rotation, which would be Kawhi, PG, Batum, Rondo – Beverly, Jackson, Ibaka, Zoo, and Morris. That's your that's your nine main rotation guys, right? Yeah. Only two of them have a negative on-off differential, and those two are Zoo at minus two point one and Morris at minus three point four. Um, everybody else is a positive, and it's and the reason I bring that up is it's not a major deviation from last season, 
but it's a slight one when the Clippers had uh, Reggie, Jermichael, Landry, and Lou, four of your main bench players as negatives in the regular season. Last year's team felt way more propped up by Kawhi and PG than this year's mm-hmm. team, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I can see that because and, and really that bears out with Kawhi's usage. I mean, Kawhi's usage, it's went down this year. He he Kawhi has realized, hey, I'm still going to get my points and buckets because I'm the only player on the team really that has that has drawn fouls at a high rate in my career. And I'm always going to get those. And I'm always going to get to the mid-range. I'm always going to get these threes off pull-ups if I want them. Uh, they've been spotty here and there, but here lately he's made them at a, at a pretty good clip. I think Kawhi has realized, hey, I'm going to get off the ball a little bit quicker this year. I'm going to let these guys get a, a lot of reps in as those guard-guard pick-and-rolls. Let, let them get the reps in as working in the short row, making those decisions. And then, hey, if the ball is swung back to me, I'm probably going to be wide open. So I think he has done a really great job of trusting everyone else. And that that is something that comes to fruition in the playoffs. Too. It, it bears out, and the results are going to show it where – he has a little bit more energy down the stretch of games if he continues to do that to really kind of take over. Did Kawhi seem like he was coasting to you at the end of the season after coming back? Absolutely, towards the end of the season. I mean, there's no other explanation for taking six shots and 25 minutes of play for Kawhi. Yeah, I kind of got the... I kind of got the idea that he was just coasting. And plus he was playing teams that were just trapping the crap out of him. Which... Oh, Ty was, Ty was mad about Toronto to a certain degree. So... I don't think he was actually mad. Yeah, I kind of got the vibe that he was like, this this is some bullshit defense. <laughs> That's what I kind of got. But here's the thing. Knowing him, talking to him as we have all year, I kind of th- – he made mention of that, by the way, in regards to PG with like those are the defenses we're going to see in the postseason. So we have – it's great that we're getting these reps right now. So Yeah, I can see that. I think he's happy that they got those reps at the end of the year. Like, Hey, our top two guys are being trapped and they're looking this good. So what's the problem? Yeah. And a lot of it comes down to like Pat Bev. If Pat Bev is the one in there setting those ball screens and getting out of those screens quickly. And as long as Kawhi and PG hit that roller, whether it's a guard or a, or a big is it comes down to that guy making those decisions. And I think Pat's really good at making those decisions. I think zoo is good. Uh, Reggie's been pretty good. Um, Morris, we haven't really seen a lot of him as the screen setter and roller. It's more of like him and screaming, screening and popping or ghost screening. So I, I'm really interested to see how they do those, those small, small pick and rolls, not to beat that uh, phrase into the ground, but you know, uh, two things I'm really interested in in the screen department. Number one, I think we're going to see a lot when he's on the floor. I think we're going to see Rondo uses a screener a lot more. I didn't think about that. He, yeah, because that, that, if that you get Rondo work. at the nail with the ball as a decision maker, I think I think that's fine. Four on three opportunities. Yeah, yeah, especially because he will drive to the rim. So yeah. I, I I think that might be a and thing it, that tie, like a wrinkle tie throws in. And he doesn't like Rick Carlisle, right? So. Oh, oh, that's right. So the 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 hatred will flow through him and lead him to a victory, like it did against Ooh. Phoenix in that one game because he hated Chris Paul so damn much. Um, number two, I think we're going to see a lot of double drag from the Clippers. So Ibaka and Morris as the screeners. No, no. I think it's going to be Zoo and Morris. 
Oh, I don't know why, dude. The word Ibaka came out of my mouth, and it should have been Zoo. Uh, that's what no, I meant. Good. Yeah. So I think, I think we saw a glimpse of it, and this sounds crazy. I think we saw a glimpse of it in the Oklahoma City game. They ran double drag several times with Oturu and Ibaka. <laughs> okay. I, I know. I know. I know. Everyone's <laughs> gonna laugh, but. Uh, they ran double drag and Arturo would be the diver and Serge would be the popper and it was leading to open shots. I kind of think that's the game plan of let's make Porzingis and whoever the other big man defender are have to actually play this in space. Or mm-hmm. if Doncic is guarding Morris, make him have to exert energy in the screen department. So yeah, I kind of think even- we're going to see some double drag. You could do double drag early often, as long as you do it early and really kind of get Dallas out of there. Don't, don't let them get set. Kind of just go right into double drag and, and kind of let chaos flow as it may. And I also think it Dallas is one of the teams, probably first, second, or third. I would say top three in, in running Spain pick and rolls. I think you can really. I think you could use that against them. I think you can uh, kind of give them a taste of their own medicine there and have zoo as a screener pg as the as the back screener and really like force kp force porzingis to think about things on the fly because that'd be i I don't think he's all right i'm not like i really like porzingis as a player i just don't think he has the capabilities on defense to handle that a lot of that type of stuff so i think we might see some spain for the clippers they ran it a couple times this year not a ton they they only did about a handful of times from what i watched the other, the other sequence that I did like from them, especially in that Oklahoma City game that they ran, I believe, once, maybe twice, is with Ibaka on the floor, and they're going to run this with Kawhi on the floor too. Uh, side out of bounds. Um, Kawhi sets a pin down at the elbow. or in, the, in that game, Ibaka sets a pin down at the elbow, comes off of two cross screens to get the ball into the mid post on a mismatch. And I think that's something we will see the Clippers do because Ty loved to run a lot of cross screens and double cross screen action for, for LeBron. LeBron and Kevin love. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how he worked mismatches. So, and, and you brought up ghost screens or for people who don't know what ghost screens are, it's when you come up to act like you're setting the screen, but then you go down and set a pin down the Nick Batum special, right? Yeah. The Nick, the hundred percent, the Nick Batum special, uh, Ibaka does it too. Um, the other one is the crackback. Um, Ibaka's done it several times. He did it in the last game where he sets a screen on one side and then looks like he's setting uh, a ball screen, but then will peel back and crack back for the, for the, <laughs> against the original defender to spring a guy for a three. Canar uh, got a wide open left wing corner th- or left wing three out of it against Oklahoma city. You're going to see them run this. Like it's, it's stuff that they, you could see the postseason sets, and I kind of think Ty gave some of it away against Oklahoma City because he knew no one was going to scout that game. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Unless the people that were pissed off watching the game were going to scout it, you know. Exactly. So, so. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is probably the the series where you can look at it and say this might be the best X's and O's series of all the ones we have set so far. I'm trying to think real quick off the top of my head. Um, Stotts and Malone. Stotts is really good at, at running offensive actions, but with, without Denver having Jamal Murray, it, it's kind of just like Jokic do everything, please to God. Uh, so I'll be I, honest, uh, Budenholzer and Spo is a really yes, good X's and yes. series. Oh my God. Can you imagine the out-of-bounds sets on that one? I mean, that's going to be fascinating. Uh, so, I, I tell you what, for the sake of this, for the sake of Twitter and, and my sanity, 
I need the Bucks to smack Miami. Just, just for the sake of the dis- discourse, I need the Bucks to smack Miami. Off course, off track, a, I know. Yeah. No, no, no. I was going to say, we're going to get an interesting postseason, I, f- I think. Hopefully. I think it's going to be really interesting. I think we're going to see how much the bubble mattered last year. Oh, I, I wanted to ask you about that. I, I had it in the back of my mind, but then we started talking about something else. I, it, why is this not getting a lot of attention or a lot of um, – it's not. It's not really a, a talking point so far. Dallas played the Clippers pretty well through four games. I mean, it was two-two for God's sake. I mean, they played them pretty well. Although I think the Clippers always, to me, had the upper hand in that series. But that was one neutral location. Like we're about to see, and, and I, I'm not. I'm not really sure about the capacity for Staples Center at this point. But like, I'm, I think we're about to see how much home court is going to matter in, in a potential series between two, a four and five seed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's 100% true. It's going to be rather interesting. Um, Staples Center, as far as I know, capacity will be increased for the postseason. I think it'll be close to about 35 40%, maybe 50%. We'll see. Oh, man. Um, I yeah, don't Ellis know. Is Dallas... definitely gonna, it's going to be higher than that, probably. Well, Texas, you know. So. Yeah. But, I mean, the bubble was interesting. I'm just really interested to see this postseason setting – with a team like the Clippers, who had one of the greatest three-point shooting seasons of all time, what that translates to into the postseason. Yeah. Um, I also kind of think that's why Ty gave guys the last couple of games off is to rest their legs even more for more jump shooting. Yeah, it could be the case. I mean, especially we talked about it last night, but Pat Bev's shot hasn't looked great. So, you know, just just let him kind of reset things. Uh, Kawhi, he's he's shot really well. So kind of just want to preserve him and PG has been, I, I want to say to be kind up and down since the all-star break. Um, so obviously giving him a week off, this is, this is honestly really strange to me that there's been a week before there's been a week in between knowing the matchup and game one. That's never been the case in NBA history. And it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. It's a little strange, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, for Ty and, and Rick, like, someone needs to save them from the film room because <laughs> I mean, having a week to really dive into the, to these teams, there's no excuse for not being prepared. Ty's probably watched more film than there's ever been movies made in the history of the world. <laughs> um, one of the interesting things, according to cleaning the glass uh, before the all-star break, the Clippers were 29th in location effective field goal percentage. That means the types of yep. shots they're getting. Now they did take a lot of threes. They did get to the rim. At a, at a not great level. Let me guess their post all star, if I may. Go ahead. Um, ranking in the league, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go seventeenth. F- it was eighteenth. Okay, I figured it'd be it, league average or around there. Yeah. So they generated the eleventh highest percentage of three pointers, and they were fourteenth in rim attempts. They were also fourteenth in mid range attempts. Um, to be honest with you, that's a shot profile I'm fine with. Would I love for them to take a ton of threes? Like, for instance, would I love for them? This is gonna sound crazy to people who don't like who only look at records of teams. Would I love for them to have Houston shot profile? Of course, Houston takes yeah. rim attempts and threes. I would love that, but they're also not taking a ton of mid range shots compared to what last year was and what the earlier in the season was they're getting to the rim more. Maybe that's because zoo has been playing more. I don't know, but it's just one of the things I've noticed. The interesting thing, 
Dallas doesn't get to the rim a lot. And they haven't gotten to the rim a lot since the All-Star break. They're 29th in rim frequency. Oh, now, I didn't know that. In, they're fifth in three-point frequency and 13th in mid-range. But they do not get to the rim a whole hell of a lot. The only team worse at rim frequency? Phoenix. <laughs> so the team that could go to the West Finals. That's crazy. Do you want another team um, that was had the third lowest? Um, Toronto. Utah. Utah. My, what in the world? Utah was first in three-point frequency, 28th in rim frequency since the All-Star break. Oh, man. So basically what we're seeing is this is the year of jump shooting, and jump shooting is going to win a championship. Most likely, yes. Um, Because, I mean, even if you think that none of those teams we just mentioned are going to win it, if you think Brooklyn's going to win it, I mean, what the hell do they do? (laughs) You know? Well, it's crazy. Brooklyn, since the All-Star break, has been ninth in rim frequency, which I did not expect to see on here. Despite Harden missing a lot of games. So when we say rim frequency, we only talk about shot attempts within four feet of the basket. This doesn't account for your driving and kicking, which the Clippers have been absolutely excellent at all season long. Um, And I think to put a bow on talking about the things that will matter in this series, that will be the interesting thing to track is everyone's talked about, all right, the Clippers don't get to the free throw line a lot, and they don't. They were the best free throw shooting team in NBA history. They honestly were, but they didn't get there a ton. They don't really drive to the rim a lot, and they don't. They drive 41.9 times per game, which is in the bottom 10 of the league. However, the one thing they do do is they end up passing out of those drives. They're at 40.4%. To put it in perspective, Dallas is at 40.5%, and those Dallas is in the top 10. Um, the Clippers have upped their assist frequency on drives. They're at 10 and a half percent, which is in the top 10. They generate points at a, at a good rate at 55.2% off of either drives, uh, driving kick or, uh, field goal attempts at the rim. So you're looking at a team in the Clippers who their entire mantra is Drive, kick, swing, swing, swing. If that doesn't work, attack, close out, drive, kick, swing, swing. Like it's like this entire self-fulfilling prophecy, essentially. (laughs) Will that come back to bite them in the postseason? I don't know. Maybe this is the stretch of the season where the Clippers just can't make a three. They've been through a couple stretches in the season. Maybe this is another one. I don't know. I really don't. That's why the playoffs are tough to dissect because it it could be at, at minimal four games of a sample size and at most seven, you never know. Yeah. Um, anybody also, can get hot. Anybody can get cold. Yeah. I also do believe that although the bubble was the bubble, it was its own experience. I think we are still going to be inclined or I, th- I think we're still going to see a, a higher probability than normal of a team that's able to come back down three, one, like, so what I'm trying to say is I, I think if you get the Jazz or the Clippers or the Lakers down 3-1, uh, I think those teams can come back and win a series because of the lower fan capacity. It's not like a it's not a real true playoff environment it's going to feel like. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong on that, but I think we're still going to see some bubble tendencies in, in, in the sense that I don't think if you get down 3-1 or, or 2-0, then it's, you should be – hitting the panic button quite yet um so i'm I'm just i'm curious to see how this how this playoffs is going to unfold a couple of housekeeping things and one question to ask you i guess is um well number one we should i should have mentioned when talking about this guy but maxi kleba has been under under some achilles soreness 
uh, has missed six of the last eight games of the season. He played in two of the last eight, uh, only played about 18 to 14 minutes in, in those in those games, but uh, did not play the last two games. I'm not sure if that was for rest or you know, the Achilles soreness, but he is a pivotal factor. And if he's hindered at all, that's something to watch out for. And J.J. Redick, supposed to be in the mix, supposed to be able to come back. I don't think he would play a lot, but I'm going to ask you, do you think that's any concern if he's able to play? I'm going to be honest with you. It's a concern if he plays because he's the one guy, and I understand he's not what he used to be. I get that. His caliber of shooter, it's the last thing to go. It's the last thing to go. He can make yeah. he can make pin down threes in his sleep until he's 60 years old. <laughs> you have to stay with him. If he's on the floor, you have to stay with him. And maybe that's the great X factor for Dallas, right? Play J.J. Redick. Now, here's the problem for Dallas if they do that. The Clippers will attack him. Ty Lue is, is attacking. Ty Lue might be the coach that attacks mismatches more than anybody else. Which is why I'm so glad he's on the Clippers. This doesn't mean the Clippers are going to win the title. I'm just saying I'm glad he's here because I trust him a lot more than the previous guy. He's the, Yeah, Ty is the one that instructed the, the Cavs to attack Steph Curry 45 times in a game. I mean, not that they wouldn't do it regardless because they had LeBron James, but still, like, I mean, that call comes from the head coach. Right, uh, do you want to make a prediction for the series? Because I'm kind of not in the prediction mood right now. But grudgingly, I do. Uh, <laughs> I will, oh, I should go say. Ahead. Go ahead. Um, because of the home court factor, and I think – I think the rest, I think the the health and availability is really going to uh, help the Clippers in this series. I'm going to go five, Clippers and five. Uh, that's what I'm going to go with. Now, watch it come back to bite me. I, that, that was my pick in the, in the first round last year, Clippers and five. And I think a lot of people forget that if Luka's three-pointer over Reggie doesn't go in, the Mavericks were trailing in that game. That game would have been over. It would have been 3-1 Clippers if that three didn't fall. Incredible shot by an incredible player, but I just want people to understand how close it was to being a five-gamer. Uh, last year, I picked the Clippers in six and a half, and I'm not making a prediction. I just don't want to do them anymore. I forgot that I'm you just, did that. Uh, oh, and so the train goes by me right now, so you all get to hear that on the podcast. I had a train go by me. That was the prediction train saying don't make one. Um, it's going to be a really interesting series. I'm I'm very intrigued to see the matchups. I really am. It's, it's a... Yes, they played each other last year. A lot has changed personnel-wise. Clippers have a new coach, different system, different setting now. You know, it's not the bubble. Um, it's going to be very, very interesting, and I'm very intrigued to see how it ends up. Uh, Shane, where can people find you, find your work, and just come out and say hello to you? <laughs> you can come and say hello or scream at me at Young MBA. Uh, and my work is at Forbes Sports. I, I, I might, like at this point, Justin, I was going to do a series preview, but like at this point, I think the the right thing to do is just kind of wait and 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 do like game-by-game game reviews or game-by-game game breakdowns because, like you said, a lot has changed. We And we haven't even seen a lot of the damn sample size of, of these two teams at full strength. Like the three games in the regular season – you might just want to throw them out the window. That's why I'm kind of like, I don't want to do a series preview for this one. This podcast will, will suffice. Yeah. So Kawhi missed game one, the big ass blowout. Um, Ibaka and Beverly missed the second and third games. So yeah, I mean, what can you it, really take from them? 
Yeah. So you oh, can and Mor- Morris missed that blowout too, by the way. That was the other one. Yeah. Oh, he wasn't even active yet until, you know, a month later. <laughs> so Yeah, so uh, um it's gonna be interesting. Uh can't wait to see what happens, honestly. Um we will be back. Let's see, I'll see if I can wrangle Farbod back from Hawaii anytime soon. I was about to ask so you, I, where, where did him and him and Tomer escape to? I went to Hawaii <laughs> and they didn't even invite me, so I'm a little bit hurt by that. <laughs> But um, I'll see what we can do. I want to preferably try to do a recap pod after every game because I do feel like these games are so important that we have to be able to, to do one at a time. If Farbaugh's not able to give it a go, I'm going to just Shanghai Shane into doing it. So, you know, that'll just be the way the cookie crumbles. Lovely. Um, do you have anything for the good people? The only thing I have, Justin, is uh, I can I can officially say Randy Johnson is awesome because I, I, I saw it. I was gonna ask you about that. The the only guy in America with six with a uh, sixty plus thousand Twitter or uh, Instagram followers that is a private account. So I had to, rec- I had to request to follow him, and he accepted. So lovely, love it. It's the gr- greatest post post professional sports career life of all time no he can bet now who all right who is the better athlete kevin durant or or randy johnson who's the better photographer kevin durant or randy johnson oh athlete i would actually say they're probably very comparable as athletes that's a hot take but okay no i i really do for the respective <laughs> sports i do believe they're comparable yeah, I, can, I can see it yeah. comparable athletes um photographer is 100 percent randy johnson <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent ready to. People, I implore you, please, <laughs> please, please. If you have not done it, if you didn't do it uh, after the last podcast, for the love of God, go check out Randy Johnson's uh, photo album. Just go to rj fifty one photos dot com. Yes, this is not a, this is not an ad, but I am making this an ad right now. <laughs> are we getting go paid ch- by Randy Johnson? No, we are not, but I I would damn sure love to. So go to rj51photos.com. That's the number five one. It's Randy Johnson Photography. (laughs) You're going to go through the gallery and you're going to see some of the most incredible photos that you've ever seen in your life by a man who has lived an absolutely astounding life and had an incredible career. Shane, once again, thank you for joining me. Folks, stay safe, stay healthy, uh, wear your mask, social distance, do all the, the fun things that you need to do in your area. And we will see you guys probably after game one. Take it easy. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.